And we've been stringing along a very lengthy series since the first of the year, which began with talking about the will of God and that we focus on the will of God. And then we went through a series of, of things re related to trials. And then last week we talked about even in the midst of those trials that we're to walk with integrity. Remember, love and justice were the basis for integrity. King David said, I sing of love and justice, and he's singing it to God, he's singing it to the people. And David wanted to emulate that love and justice because the word integrity goes inward. And we looked at our five core values last week. So to walk with integrity, and as I thought about it this week, I thought about why should we walk with integrity? And I hinted at it last time that we were together. I think it's vital to walk in integrity because the moment that we tell people that we are Christians, we are immediately put under the microscope. And what can happen when we don't walk in integrity, when we set before us things that are ungodly, unholy, uh, and we come under that microscope, it kind of negates the gospel. And so today I want to focus on jars of clay. Several years ago I preached on this text. I went back and did some rev uh, revisions to it. The Apostle Paul is writing here to the church at Corinth in his second letter. It was a troubled church. It was not a, what you would call a premier church. Uh, but the Apostle Paul was writing to establish some principles and also to remind them what should be central in their life. And that, of course, is the gospel. So this morning, if you look at the back of your bulletin, there's an outline there. You can, what I call, play along with pastor. You fill in the blanks, and you can take notes there as, as, as well. First of all, salvation is a treasure, and it, Paul opens up with the jars. Now, he writes here, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Thesaros is the word for treasure. It conveys a wide range of meanings, but basically means wealth or riches. So if we look at it this way, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. There is something within us that is valuable. Now, in and of ourselves, we have no value before God, but God places something within us. And the question is, what is this treasure? Well, it depends on which scholar you look at for the week. Some say it's the ministry. If you look at verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, therefore having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Some scholars would view this as what Paul is talking about. This ministry is so valuable, which it is. And by the way, as you live your Christian life, you are doing ministry. You do not have to be ordained in a Southern Baptist church or have degrees to be a minister in the sense of ministering to the community. So in this sense, we do carry around this treasure, this ministry that God has given to us. And you say, well, who do I minister to? The field is open. You minister to anyone that you come in contact with. Apostle Paul, his ministry was to preach the gospel to, to the Gentiles and to try to draw Jew and Gentile together under the umbrella of Christ. That was an important ministry for the Apostle Paul. A second thing that it could mean is it could be a reference to the gospel message. And of course, listen to this. Ministry is never divorced from the gospel. 
Ministry is never divorced from the gospel. If it is divorced from the gospel, it is no longer Christian ministry. So when he talks here about this in verse 4, he says in their case, this is chapter 4, verse 4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. This is where many Calvinists stumble because they believe that God intentionally blinds people so that they cannot hear the gospel. Not what I study in Scripture. What I study in Scripture is that Satan is the one that blinds the minds of the unbelievers, that they cannot see the light of the gospel. And as we go out doing our ministry, hopefully in integrity, sharing with people, they will somehow come to a state with the presence of the Holy Spirit being able to see I see it. I know what it is. Satan is actively at work in the world keeping people from coming to Christ. The gospel is for everyone, not just a select few. There are no bounds. I love the song this morning. As how deep and how wide and how long and how all of that comes into, comes into play. The gospel is for everybody. And the Apostle Paul makes a very, statement, a very clear statement here. In their case, the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. Part of the treasure that we carry is the message of the cross. In fact, we cannot live our Christian lives without the message of the cross. Because when we come to the cross, we are radically transformed and radically changed to go out into a world that is in darkness, that is in bondage, and to share the good news of what we have received at the moment of salvation. Isn't that right? Now that's <laughs> so yeah, it could be. A third thing that it could be is it could be a reference to the glory of Christ. In the next sentence, he says, in, ch in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, The light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Jesus, in John's gospel, walked among us. We beheld his glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father. So, when we talk about the glory of Christ... That has to be part of the jars of clay. It has to be part of what God puts in us. Because without the glory of Christ, we have not salvation. And without the blinders coming off and we see the light of the gospel and to go out into all the world, it is meaningless without the glory of Christ. The morning star has risen in our hearts. It's very, very important. A fourth thing that it could mean is the glory beyond. And that's in chapter 4, verse 17, when the Apostle Paul writes this, for, the light and, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. What is the jars of treasure? What is the treasure that God has placed in these vessels? I think it's all of this. All of this. But ultimately, Christ is the center of all. So when we talk about this, we are talking about salvation as a treasure, and God does his business through jars of clay. Isn't that amazing? 
in the uh, right around the time of the Apostle Paul, maybe a little bit after. Um, this is one of the artifacts from that period uh, in, in, in Greece. And uh, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful, maybe able to see it a little better if, if it was darker up here, but uh, beautifully handcrafted jar. It looked awesome. People would look at it and they would go, wow, that is awesome. And it was handcrafted, by, by the way. Notice the detail of the hands. Notice the, the detailing of the strings. I don't know what it's worth, but it's probably priceless today. But now what the Apostle Paul says here is this. But we have this treasure, the thesaros, the wealth, the riches in jars of clay. What was the Apostle Paul talking about? Was he talking about something like this? No. The Apostle Paul was talking about something like this. An ordinary household jar. Now when you compare it to the first one, does it look beautiful? I think there's really imaging going on here. I think that there's imaging going on here. Knowing that this is what the Apostle Paul was talking about. Something similar to this. Very plain, very ordinary. It's as if God takes plain people and pours into them the treasure of heaven. You know what that means? That means God uses you and he uses me. Maybe outwardly we don't look beautiful to the world and maybe in some cases we may look dumb because we believe in the resurrected Jesus Christ. But let me, let, let me, let me tell you, it is not the beautiful, the wealthy, the rich that God seems to use, although he can. I know some rich people that have come to saving faith in Jesus, Jesus Christ. They give lots of money to the work of ministry. Praise God. Normally, normally it's us. It's you. It's me. That's the treasure that God, yeah, maybe outwardly nothing significant, but it's not what is outside that determines a person's value. It is what's on the inside. And what is on the inside of you, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, no matter how broken down, battered, beaten, life has hit you, you are a valuable treasure to the kingdom of God because what is in you and what is in me. That's where, in this, in this day and age, in, in this day and age of everything, people having to be beautiful, every magazine that you pick up, you do know that that stuff is airbrushed. You do know that that is not real. The real world involves us. And just the way that the world acts today, it's... I like what David Garland said. David Garland said this in his commentary. Such an image underscores his weakness. Paul, talking about Paul. An earthen vessel is characteristically fragile. They would break these. Just the handles would break off. They were just ordinary plain vessels 
cup holders, anything that they could put water and carry. Prone to breakage, easily chipped and cracked. By the way, some are more cracked than others. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> a breakable vessel offers no protection except from dirt and water. The image, therefore, listen to this. This is, this is important. The image, therefore, serves to emphasize the contrast between Paul's own pitiful weakness and the great power of God. You show me a person who is fully surrendered to the cause of Christ, and I will show you a person that can do great things for the kingdom of God who does not apparently outward have all the necessary tools to do such great work, but somehow God uses them in a great way. The great Billy Graham, he wasn't always a great speaker until he laid flat before God and said, God, use me. And Billy Graham became one of the greatest evangelists in the 20th century. Amazing. I remember Billy Graham once saying, God's still waiting for somebody who's fully surrendered to use him to their full capacity. That's, that's wild. And that came from Billy Graham. The contrast is where ordinary vessels filled with a treasure, which is the light of the gospel, the ministry, Christ's glory, the glory beyond. All of this is inside of us. That is what makes us valuable. And yes, I think we have to walk in integrity to amplify that treasure. It's important. Pulling back last week a little bit, pulling in. So I want you to understand that, that you have immense value. I, I know you've probably heard this before from many other preachers, but I'll say it again. If you were the only one in this world, Christ would have gone to the cross for you. He died for you. He paid for you. Now, a question arises. Really? You mean God doesn't use the rock stars and the superstars to carry out his work? Why would he possibly do that? God could use, he could use all of these seemingly important people to carry out his work, but he chooses us. What can we possibly, why would God do that? Look at the next line, 7b, to show the surpassing power that belongs to God and not us. That word power is dunamis. Dunamis is where we get the word dynamite. Now, you think about, he's saying here, is that he does this. God puts the treasures in broken vessels, cracked vessels, easily damaged. He puts them in there to show how much we need him. God is the one, brothers and sisters, that gets the glory. We get none of the glory. It is his glory that is in us, and we praise him because of it. But <laughs> when God created the stars and the solar systems and the galaxy and mankind, he did that from his dunamis, his power, not ours. How many of you were around at the beginning of creation? None of us. God was the one that created us in his image to have a relationship. What about when 
Moses took the people across the Red Sea. Was that Moses? Moses was not a perfect vessel by any means. But God poured the treasure into Moses. He was able to part the Red Sea, and the nation of Israel crossed on dry ground. Did Moses get credit for it? Well, he did, but he also got blamed for a lot of things. But the fact is, God was the one doing it. God was the one that created the world. God was the one that delivered the nation of Israel. And then you think about in the New Testament, you think of Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail at the midnight hour. They were singing and praising to God, and all of a sudden, what happened? The whole place shook. Jailhouse rock, if you want to call it that. Jailhouse rock. Their chains were off, and the Philippian jailer said, Paul said to him, do not harm yourself, we are all here. And the Philippian jailer said at that point in time, when they realized that Paul and Silas could not do that, that he said to them, what must I do to be saved? See, in Paul and Silas's case, the treasure was locked down. But don't you know that those people in that, because none of them left, those prisoners and those jailers were listening to the Apostle Paul and Silas in there. People listen to us. And they do take in what we say. Again, not Paul and Silas. It was God. What about Jesus Christ when he raised from the dead? That's the ultimate power of God. And by the way, that's the ultimate power of God that will send us to eternity because of what Jesus Christ did in the resurrection. There's our hope. So he says here, to show that the surpassing deutomies, the surpassing power does not belong to us. It belongs to God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that God, have you seen people that go through really difficult times and hardships and they seem to come out on the other side? Was it their power that did that? That was the power of God that did that. And by the way, he's always with you. You realize that, right? No matter what you're going through in your life, he is with you. Little old you, little old me, God is there and he's doing miraculous things. So press on. Keep moving. Keep moving. Through a series of... Uh, difficulties and deliverance you see it's 8a 9a it's couplets that are that are brought forth we'll look at the negative couplets first and then go to the positive couplets and I'm going to read it that I'm going to read it that way because you're going to say wait a minute he read something different no I'm I'm reading I'm reading 8a and 9a first we'll we'll get to the second part we are afflicted in every way Listen to this. It's like a barrage. Paul pours it out. We are afflicted in every way, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. Oh boy, <laughs> can't wait for Monday, right? Right? These are the difficulties that we face. 
Flebo is the word for afflicted. It refers to physical or psychological suffering. Years ago when I was in the army and I was a section chief, particularly in Hawaii, there were other times, people did not like me. Particularly, I can think of three upper seniors that did not like me because I was a Christian. I was harassed. I didn't stop. The outshot was, and it was difficult. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. It, it, it was a difficult period. But they were messing with my head. They were inside my head messing with it. And then finally, to be honest with you, I picked a period when I couldn't go any further, so I went. You guys have heard this story before, I'm sure. We went back to Florida for 30 days. I, and I kept waiting. At the end of the 30 days, I thought, I got to go back there. I did not want to go back there. And when I got back to the unit, I walked up, signed back in from leave, and here it went. The first sergeant would like to see you tomorrow morning. Here we go again. Walked in, knocked on Top's door, walked in, and he said, Sergeant Frazier, you are now taking over the platoon. The two sergeants, they're gone now. You were in charge. Did I do that? No, I was scared to death to go back. But God changed the situation. And there are times when we might have psychological problems, we might have physical problems, but I'm going to tell you something. You will not ultimately suffer defeat. You can't because you're a child of God. And I'm not talking about charismatic theology here. I'm talking about biblical theology. You do not lose. In the end, it may look like you're losing at the time. And it may look like you're having a, a rough spot. And you probably are. But I am telling you that you cannot lose because of whose power you are carrying inside of you. You cannot do it. So he says, we are afflicted. I get that. We are perplexed, great trouble, meaning discouraged. None of us live there, right? <laughs> None of us live in the state of discouragement. See, that's, that's another tool that Satan uses to say, God's not taking care of it. Sometimes that discouragement comes from the world. Sometimes it comes from just life in general. But he says we are perplexed. We are persecuted. You know what that word means? Harassed. I was harassed when I was in the army, but I never, uh, I never said too much about it. Maybe that was my air assault training. Maybe that was the sergeant's creed. You just, press, you just push forward. I never reported it. I pushed back on it a few times, but I never said, these guys are harassing me. They're hurting my feelings. Um, <laughs> I didn't do that. And then he says here, struck down. That we are struck down. 
physical or psychological, it's afflicted. We're perplexed, discouraged, or confused, which when I wake up in the morning, I'm kind of confused, <laughs> but after my first cup of coffee, I get right back on track. So uh, number three, persecuted, hunted down, or chased, uh-huh, the early church, uh-huh. Most of us live here in our Christian lives. Maybe some here. We, we don't get hunted down. Although I do, I can see a day where that may be coming. Maybe in the next 20, 30 years where being a Christian will be deathly. Number four, struck down, thrown down. The apostle Paul is giving us an image here. What image could he possibly be presenting? Wrestling. Paul used sports images. If Paul was here, he'd probably be watching TV, watching football, baseball. Because he, he used sports image. He used a lot of image. Here, it's being thrown down, and it's not a light throw. When I was in high school, I, I tried wrestling, and I got so tired of getting thrown to the mat that I said, I can't do it. My little back's hurting. But no, he's using force being thrown down. There are times in life when it feels just like that, right? When you are thrown down. So this is, these are all bad images. <laughs> Difficulties give way to deliverance. Difficulties give way to deliverance. Now I'm going to read the B's. The A's are up here, the B's are here. This is the second part of the couplet. Listen to this. But not crushed. Notice. Not driven to despair, but not forsaken, but not destroyed. That's the other end of the couplet. He says, yes, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Yes, we are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. That's the other end of the couplet. Because if you live your Christian life, I'm perplexed, I'm beaten, I'm, I'm, I'm torn down, you're forgetting the second part of the act. And the act is that God is in the deliverance business. I'm telling you, whatever you're going through today, God will eventually pull you out of it when you have learned what you are supposed to learn through it. This world does not determine your destiny nor mine. God determines our destiny. Our hope is in him and him alone. He's the one that we look to. He's the one, Abba Father, that we go to and we ask God, I'm hurting. He sees it. He knows it. He's not an unfeeling God. But God will deliver you at the moment that you need to be delivered. And this is what I have found in my life, not a moment second or second sooner. I go back to that event in my life and I just remember, okay, okay, God did it here. He's going to do it again. That's the way God works. So, we're afflicted and that word literally means not broken into pieces. We, we go back to that little vessel. To that little vessel. It's delicate. 
it's delicate and it may come under some stuff, but it's not going to break. It's not going to. Why? Because it's the power of Christ. It's the power of God. Stay the course. Keep going. Keep pushing. Keep pushing. Number two, perplexed but not without hope. You and I are not without hope today. You do realize that. Here's something that, that gets me and I, I can't get my mind around it. How can you live a life apart from Christ and think there is hope? Wait a minute. That might be the treasure in there. You, you think about it. When you are lost, there is only momentary hope, not eternal hope. That's a huge difference. That is a huge difference in the, in the way that people think and, and, and act. We're persecuted, but never abandoned. And there were times when all this was going on, and other times when I thought, okay, God, you, come on, you're welcome to join me in this. <laughs> Please. <laughs> and walk through it. I was never alone. I was never outside of his watchful eye. And guess what? You're never outside his watchful eye either. He knows it. Some of us know it more than others. I get it. We are never abandoned. Number four, we're struck down, but we're never beaten in a match. Do you know why you can't ultimately be beaten? Because we're on the winning team. We might lose a battle, but we'll never, win, we'll never lose the war. Because of the one who paid for us, redeemed for us, eternal life. And... If you go on here, he says right after this, he says, always carrying in the body of death, Jesus, so that the light, and this is verse 10, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. We can't lose. It may hurt. It may sting. It may cause difficulties. But you cannot lose. Oh, victory in Jesus. Remember that old song. That's an old song. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He bought me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Victory in Jesus. Keep on moving. Keep on moving. God permits trials. Warren Wiersbe says, God controls trials. God uses trials for his own glory. God is glorified through weak vessels. The missionary who opened 
the inland China to the gospel, J. Hudson Taylor used to say, all God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they, because they counted on him being along with them. When you go out this week, know that God goes with you, that there is a victory, and he uses the victory jars of clay like us. <laughs>